0: Empire. Welcome to In the Clubhouse, a podcast about the Washington Nationals and Major League Baseball. I'm your host, Richard. In this episode, I sit down with Eli Sussman, the managing editor of FishStripes.com, a website that focuses on the Miami Marlins. During our conversation, Eli gives us an overview of what the washington national fans can expect from the miami marlins this upcoming season and provides us with some of the news that might not have made national head headlines but were important to their franchise so let's go into the clubhouse mm-hmm. Hey, Eli, thank you for uh, taking the time to join us today and talk a little bit about Marlins baseball.
1: It's a pleasure to be on here, Richard, Uh, getting so close to that real action to cover once again. Yeah. uh, Yeah, just happy to share what I know and get to know the Nats a little bit more, too.
0: Awesome. Great. So um, let's start right off the bat here. Um, So, you know, obviously there were so many moves made up in New York with the Mets, um the Nationals obviously made some moves themselves that made some headlines same with Philly signing JT Realmuto and Atlanta Atlanta um however Miami was pretty quiet so uh can you uh set the scene for us a little bit of what's going on down in Florida
1: uh, the biggest move they made, obviously, was off the field in hiring Kim Ang, being first woman ever in this position in baseball. When, like, like you mentioned, we're now about three and a half months into her on the job, and um, I would describe the off season as being a very efficient one, but it lacked ambition. So they didn't take all that many risks, a lot of short-term contracts that I'm sure we're going to go through, signing uh, Adam Duvall in free agency, signing Anthony Bass, Ross Detweiler... And those all address positions of need, but maybe not quite as well as some would like. Um, a handful of minor trades as well that were mainly aimed at improving the bullpen. And in those trades, not a whole lot of risk. You know, they gave up some prospects that were that were uh, somewhat expendable. And so overall, they didn't take that many risks. Of uh, it's just uh, the new additions didn't necessarily move the needle all that much. They're really relying on the core that they had entering this offseason. We got to see a lot of very young players last year, some as planned, and some were kind of forced into those positions due to the unavailability of others after the COVID outbreak on the team. Uh, They have a lot of confidence in who they had entering this offseason. Kim Ang repeatedly has stressed that she wants time to evaluate all of them herself, uh, seeing them on the field And that's why she was so excited for the start of spring training to finally get to know people because in still in the midst of this pandemic, there's only so much physical contact that she could have with these players and during the offseason. And so this is finally an opportunity for her to really get to know them well and eventually make some tough decisions. And that's a good thing when you're where the Marlins are, because those tough decisions will be finally putting the pieces together on what they hope is a sustainable contending team.
0: You mentioned Ross Detweiler. Us Nationals fans know him uh, pretty well. He was a pitcher for us. Um, you know, you know. Give us kind of like your quick impressions of him so far.
1: He was the first uh, major league free agent signing of their offseason. They waited pretty late to get going, and he was the first one. A one year deal, uh, eight hundred and fifty thousand dollars guaranteed, and. As you'd mentioned, he'd been in the division a while, so they had some familiarity with him. But most recently, with the White Sox last year, uh, he in 2019 with the White Sox, it was somewhat of a disaster for him as a spot starter for them. But then in 2020, he focused on going to the bullpen, made some interesting adjustments to his pitch mix, in particular this the slider that he had that finally gave him a weapon to put batters away. And uh, you look at all the numbers from 2020, and it was solid across the board. The peripherals kind of match up with the run prevention. He seems like an above average reliever, but it, it's just such a tiny sample. And then at the end of 2020, he didn't even make the White Sox postseason roster, which is mm. somewhat of a red flag that he, that, although he performed well when called upon during the regular season, they didn't have that trust in him when things mattered the most. Um, If you want to nitpick, I feel like he's a guy that they could have had on a minor league deal if they waited long enough, right? If they'd waited until February instead of December, that would have been a non-roster invitee to spring training. So that's something to nitpick if you're like me and you really dig into the weeds until how their offseason went. Uh, But he had his his first media availability um, of spring training. I guess it was at the end of last week and seems like a nice guy. They've made it pretty clear that he's only going to be out of the bullpen this year, even for a team that doesn't have much starting experience. And actually, Detweiler is the most experienced starter that they have in their entire organization right now. But at this stage of his career, they're going to have him in middle relief, and they really needed some reliable left-handers in their bullpen. Even with him in the mix, they don't have have a whole lot of variety in terms of handedness. Uh, So uh, it's a low-risk move that I, I feel could be perfectly fine for them.
0: Um, why do you think the ownership was so quiet during the offseason? Um, you know, obviously you guys had some good success last year, you know, you ended up making the playoffs. Um, you know, wouldn't you think that they would kind of want to build upon that momentum, or do they think that it was like a 2020 was like an outlier year for everybody?
1: Well, some of both. I think a lot of people understand that. Some of the results from last year, the bottom line wins and losses were an outlier, especially, I mean, all you have to do is look at the run differential and the fact that they were pretty badly outscored by their opponents last year, had made the playoffs anyway. And of course, uh, at least for this year, now that it seems like the playoffs are going to be contracted back to normal, that last year they were the technically the number six seed in the National League. And so they would be on the outside looking in uh, if it was a normal playoff format last year. So that that's kind of understood, even though they won't necessarily say that directly that they feel it was Mm -hmm. a fluke. There is some uh, uh, it's kind of unavoidable, unavoidable to point that out, that they were ahead of schedule in making the postseason. I, I mean, the biggest factor that was holding them back was the uncertainty about their regional television deal one that as of this moment has still not been officially announced, although there is some paperwork that have made it clear that they will have their games televised this year, but uh, they had the worst TV deal in baseball for the last 15 years. And um, they've seen this coming for years now, knowing it would need to be renegotiated with Fox sports, Florida um, for a variety of reasons. I imagine the pandemic had a lot to do with it, that they've had difficulty getting the the actual Raise that they wanted from Fox Sports Florida, and at the same time, the network has had um, their own financial um, difficulties as well, where it's they maybe don't want to commit as much as they were willing to commit previously. Uh, we're still waiting on the details on to, about how much that is going to be. Uh, owner Bruce Sherman, you know, the principal owner, the one that, that is most invested in this, he did say recently that they will he. It doesn't sound like much, but he does insist that they will no longer have the worst deal in all of Major League Baseball, that whatever this final number is going to be on average annual value, it's going to be better than what they used to be, which was it it used to be below $20 million a year, whereas other teams are making double, triple, quadruple, quintuple that. um, So he thinks it's going to be a pretty significant change, but the fact that that whole thing was just not settled entering this offseason has definitely played a, a large role. In, in holding them back. And I, I guess the if you want to be a little bit uh, on the actual baseball side, there isn't a case to be made that this is the time to test a lot of their top prospects that they have uh, a deep farm system. That's kind of uh, unbalanced and that so many of these elite players are already at the high levels of their minor league system at double a AA and triple a and others that debuted last year. And they believe that those players have not a whole lot left to prove in the minor leagues. And they believe that uh, just a couple of them, if a couple of them reach their potential, that they're going to be above average regulars, if not more than that. I mean, they have several players that I'm sure we'll get into, like Sixto Sanchez, uh, Jazz Chisholm, an infielder, um, uh, their recent first round draft pick, J.J. Bleday. These are guys that legitimately do have the ceilings to be the best player on the team, to be star players. They want to give those guys a chance because um, not only do they have so many years of control ahead, but at this stage of their careers, they'll be extremely affordable. And it's really hard to blame them for that because that is uh, ultimately why they went into this rebuild in the first place, to restock the farm system, to give these young players the best chance to develop, and then ultimately to rely on those players to, to build that sustainable team.
0: I'll um I'll challenge you on one part. I think the Nationals have the worst uh, TV deal in MLB, but uh, that's a different discussion for a different day and maybe a different podcast. Um, what are like what are you seeing like some potential potential roster fights um, during uh, spring training? Like, what are you looking at? The
1: main one would have to be at second base, which is um it's really interesting situation in that not all that long ago. Their entire middle infield was in flux, but Miguel Rojas, who is the unofficial captain of of the team at this point, he had a good 2019 season. And then in 2020, when he was healthy, he was the best all-around player on the team. He was one of the many players that did miss time with COVID, but he pretty surprisingly now in his early 30s is playing better than ever. He He used to be a utility player for years with the Marlins. He could not get into the lineup on a daily basis. And now he kind of is a fixture at shortstop, at least for this year, which has made more of a jam for everybody else for this next wave of prospects. They like the middle infielders they have coming up, but now they're kind of fighting for playing time at second base with the assumption that Rojas will be the everyday shortstop. So at second base uh, last year, uh, the largest share of playing time went to John Birdie, who they found as a minor league pickup a couple of years ago, and he has greatly exceeded expectations. One of the best base runners in baseball like inarguably one of the best and really solid on base skills but he's at at this point he's 31 years old uh not a whole lot of upside to get better beyond where he currently is and they love his versatility both the infield and the outfield he's really a super utility guy uh, who seems he's he's a lock to make the roster but if the marlins get their way Then either Isan Diaz or Jazz Chisholm is going to step up as the actual everyday second baseman, allowing Birdie to move around. Uh, So both these guys, Isan came up in 2019. He was their minor league player of the year that year, and uh, I guess casual baseball fans may remember the name. He was involved in the Christian Yelich trade Hmm. (laughs)
0: Uh,
1: with with Jazz Chisholm. um, I guess that trade is also becoming a bit concerning. He was traded one for one with Zach Gallen from the Diamondbacks and Gallen has gone on and broken out subsequently. Um, Jazz in particular has off the charts tools, but very mixed minor league track record. Isan Diaz was, as I said, a minor league player of the year. He was fantastic in 2019, but when he got his first call up the last couple of months of that year, he kind of fell on his face. Uh, he just did not perform well in any facet of the game. And uh, we got to see a little bit of Jazz in the majors last year. He, uh, even, I believe he made the playoff roster, although he had a very limited role. And um, his results also were kind of underwhelming. Both these guys OPS below 600, high strikeout rates. Um, but Jazz is the toolsier guy. Um, and Eson is the one that has been around a little bit longer and has a bit of a higher floor because of his on-base skills and his plate approach. Um, So that's really the fascinating battle to follow. I mean, there's some others that we could handpick like uh, the fifth starter spot. That is still very much up in the air. They do have a lot of interesting starting pitching prospects um, that will fill that void. Um, They don't have, they have one of the youngest rotations in all of baseball. And that's very exciting, but also, you know, from my perspective, a little bit concerning in that I feel they could have used one more veteran presence to fill things out. But, there's a whole bunch of candidates that could conceivably crack the rotation coming out of camp. Uh, Nick Neidert, Daniel Castano um, rule. They, well, they have a couple of rule five draft picks. Uh, Paul Campbell was previously with the Rays organization. Uh, it, it seems more likely. And also Trevor Rogers, Trevor Rogers, who was a former first round draft pick, who mm-hmm. had a very interesting debut last year. Uh, whoever it is, it's going to be very young, very young to fill out that spot as well. And so I'd say uh, those are the two biggest battles, second base and then that final rotation spot.
0: Okay, so, um, so zooming out a little bit, what are some of the storylines that you're going to be focusing on uh, for the upcoming season?
1: The big bounce-back candidate on the team would have to be Jorge Alfaro, their catcher, who uh, was acquired from the Phillies along with Sixto Sanchez and had a pretty solid first year with the team in 2019 as their primary catcher. Um, someone that is easy to root for because he's very charismatic. He's extremely toolsy. Uh, the longest home runs of anybody on the team. Uh, surprisingly fast for someone at a catcher's position and a really strong arm. But um, the big flaw in his game is just his, his plate discipline and his pitch recognition. Like he just, he swings at everything. Uh, it's really astonishing. It's unlike anybody else that has a regular role in the majors in terms of how many balls outside the zone that he chases the bad decisions that he makes but so it's been frustrating because he took a very big step back in 2020 where um i mean part of that was not his fault he was one of the many players that caught covid early in the season so the big bounce back candidate that they have on the team this year would have to be jorge alfaro their catcher uh couple years into his time now with the Marlins organization since coming over from the Phillies. And it was a really exciting first year in 2019 because he is very easy to root for due to his off the charts tools. I mean, he hits the longest home runs on the team. He's surprisingly fast for a catcher. He has a rocket arm behind the plate. Uh, the problem is even in 2019 is that he was limiting his opportunities to do damage because of a lack of plate discipline. He's someone that does not recognize different pitches coming out of the hands. He gets himself into bad counts. He he never walks. So there were some underlying concerns after his first full Marlins season as their primary catcher. And then in 2020, he got sidetracked early on. He tested positive for COVID. He was the first player, actually, among everybody in that outbreak Um, on opening day of the season. He tested positive for COVID, ended up missing about a month. And uh, when he got back, it was just even more disappointing. Like uh, really about one week in the entire shortened season where he was productive and he came through in the clutch in a couple of situations. But outside of that, uh, a strikeout rate of 35% and uh, those home runs were not coming as frequently. And he also had, um, the team was very concerned about his pitch calling and his relationships with the pitchers. They didn't feel that he was getting the most out of them. And that's why he was essentially benched for the playoffs in in favor of Chad Wallach. Chad Wallach being a guy that they had never expected really anything out of, who, unlike Alfaro, did not have any sort of prospect hype coming up through uh, minor league baseball. But they felt that uh, Alfaro wasn't helping them win games when got to the late point of that season. So he's a guy now that uh, his first year of arbitration eligibility, uh, making a couple million dollars this year, Uh, He's at a point where you hope that he reaches his peak finally and that he makes some adjustments. Uh, He had an interesting offseason in that he initially planned to play winter ball in Columbia, um, but he scratched that plan when the team insisted that he could really do a lot to improve his game here in Miami. He was working with their catching coach uh, throughout the entire offseason instead of actually going home. And he, he talked about that sacrifice since coming to spring training and why he just felt it was essential to get the most out of his ability, knowing that uh, if he doesn't have a significant bounce back this year, then his future with the organization is entirely in doubt. And there's a lot of pressure from the Marlins. The Marlins have a lot invested in him because they really do not have strong catching prospects next up in the pipeline. Uh, They've won in Will Banfield, who is still a couple years away, although he has some nice potential, but for the near-term future, they're really relying on Alfaro very heavily. Um, they Maybe we would get into this later anyway, but they were connected in trade rumors this offseason to the Cubs and Wilson Contreras, and who would, I think, um, under any circumstances, be an upgrade at that position. And it never seemed like they were on the verge of reaching a deal, but there were names exchanged in that conversation. And we know the Cubs were willing to trade some of their other veteran players. So uh, I'll be really curious to see how that impacted Alfaro, knowing that they weren't necessarily committed to having him even for this season. Um, But a lot of potential with him and someone that the fans are really eager to get behind. He's just um, the results are going to have to be a whole lot better than they were in 2020.
0: Yeah, you mentioned um, great segue to my next question about the catching spot. Um, you wrote on uh, fish, uh, fishstripes.com about you know position players you know that are kind of like in flux, and one of them that you did mention was uh, the catcher. Um, and obviously you mentioned that report um, about Wilson Contreras. So what do you think Don Manley is going to do behind the plate? Do you think it's going to be like a platoon situation? Is it going to be kind of decided in spring training, what they're going to do? Um, like what's your perspective on it?
1: It's pretty clear cut right now. in that they're mm-hmm. going to ride with Alfaro as a primary catcher. And um, expectation is that Chad Wallach will make the roster as their backup. They- they did make some sort of move in that they brought in Sandy Leone on a minor league deal. I mean, Sandy Leone has um, been around the majors. Was he with the Nats even for a little portion of time? Probably not. I, I, <laughs>
0: probably at some point, and like all the old players were kind of with the Nats.
1: <laughs> well, most famously with the Red Sox, and then in 2020 with the Indians, a little bit of playing time. He's um. He's your classic defensive-minded backup. Um, so I'll be, I'll be curious to see whether he makes us roster. Maybe they send Chad Wallach down to AAA. Um, But but either way, uh, they, they don't really have a great alternative for this season but besides Alfaro. And uh, the manager, Di Mattingly, did say, I guess this was last week, that the plan is to have Alfaro get the majority of the reps back there. Um And we'll see how much that changes, because things did change pretty abruptly last September. Just the final couple weeks of the regular season, it turned into almost 50-50 between Alfaro and Wallach. And then the most important games of the year in the postseason, it was all Wallach. So things could change pretty quickly, but they are determined to give Alfaro at least one more shot.
0: Sandy Leone did actually play for the Nationals in 2012. That's what I thought, yeah. Good call, good call. Um, so obviously the this is a nationals podcast. So I wanted to just talk a little bit about the Marlins with the nationals frame around it. Um, so for national fans who don't necessarily, um, you know, follow the Marlins super close, who are some players, um, you know, that like, you know, some up and coming stars that we should be, um, looking at, and then also, you know, veterans, uh, that we should be aware of.
1: Uh, the brightest star potentially that they have would have to be Sixto Sanchez in most people's estimation, their number one prospect. And even though we did, he pitched a lot in the majors last year. So he's, he's barely still prospect eligible, but he is someone that could be a rookie of the year contender who, um, is, he is just exceptional raw stuff. His, his fastball routinely sitting in the high nineties and crossing over to 100, a hundred, a beautiful changeup, a pretty good slider as well. And, All of it just is put together with his commands. Just outstanding, outstanding command, which has been his calling card um, even in 2019. I've been very high on him just from seeing him in the minors, even before he got called up, that I just saw how efficient he was with his pitches. Like Even in the worst-case scenarios, even when he's getting hit around, he's someone that um, works so efficiently with these plate appearances that he gives you innings. He gets deep into the game. Um, the red flag on him for most of his pro career has been his durability because he is about five foot 11 and he's not conventionally athletic. He does have, he carries a little bit extra weight, although he is in better shape this year than what we saw in 2020. So we'll see exactly what impact that has. Um, but that's really the the only thing that could derail him would have to be injury because I think at the very least he has a pretty high floor. He's such a well-rounded pitcher. And even despite his size, he has everything you'd want from a starting pitcher as well. So um, he's not going to be expected to be the ace of this rotation. They love Sandy Alcantara and everything that he brings, um, both on the field and intangibly. So he's going to have the main responsibility of leading the rotation and then close behind him, Pablo Lopez, who had a really good year last year. Um, really, outside of one start, he was dominant during the regular season. Uh, Sixto really profiles as their number three or number four starter coming out of camp. Uh, they just have so many guys that debuted last year, and um, but most of them outside of Sixto just didn't have a lot of success, which is going to be fascinating to watch. I mean, I mentioned Jazz Chisholm before, with all the tools he's put mm-hmm. together. He, he just turned twenty three years old, and uh, we're going to see him at some point this year. I'll be curious to see whether he makes the opening day roster or not. But um, he's someone that could pretty quickly vault to being a, a great above average, everyday, regular, up the middle. Uh, Somebody that I'm pretty high on that we also saw a little bit last year is Lewin Diaz. Lewin Diaz was acquired from the Twins in 2019, and he he put on a lot of very good weight during this offseason to really bulk up. He's a first baseman that um, for a, a lot of his career was more of a hit tool over power tool, but based on some of the adjustments he's made, there's hope that he could be both, that he could just be a great hitter, and more so than any of that, really his best uh, aspect is his defense. He is just an incredible defensive first baseman. Uh, there's only so much value, I guess, that you can add defensively at first base, given those opportunities. But he was flawless last year in the major leagues, and he was only up for a portion of the year. But he, he does everything you want at that position. He, um, the only thing he doesn't do is run. He doesn't run very well at all, but he he's extremely flexible and sure-handed at first base. Uh, The Marlins have a lot of congestion at that position this year with Jesus Aguilar and Garrett Cooper. Um, But I think as soon as June or July, we could see Lewin become an everyday player for them at that spot.
0: Um, I wanted to get your thoughts on, from a Miami perspective, of uh, some of the moves that the Nationals made during uh, during the offseason. What is the buzz around, you know, Miami beat reporters and Miami uh, Marlins reporters.
1: Well, one move that I thought was interesting in context with the Marlins is the signing of Kyle Schwarber, because that Mm -hmm. was a type of player that we expected the Marlins to go after this offseason. Specifically, they wanted a left-handed power hitter, ideally, uh, to plug into the corner outfield spot or potentially in anticipation of a DH coming to the National League which for the moment doesn't seem like it's gonna be here for this year, unfortunately. Um, and I mean, ultimately, as I mentioned earlier, they did pivot to Adam Duvall, um, mm-hmm. but but Schwarber was, I thought that whole search was very interesting because they really, by all accounts, weren't even into Kyle Schwarber really at any point during these negotiations. And there were actually, you know, a bunch of corner outfielders on the market in free agency that settled for one year deals or one year plus an option. And ultimately, from the Marlins' perspective, it seems that the finances were an issue, and that's why they went with Duvall, who only needed $5 million guaranteed, only $2 million of that during the season, and um, so that they kind of took themselves out of the bidding for Schwarber or uh, for Eddie Rosario or for Jack Peterson, and uh, so I'll, that's going to be an interesting what-if to see him with the Nationals playing against them instead of playing for them and to see how he does, um, so that was, that was a move that I, I liked personally, uh, I would have liked it even more if there was a DH in the national league this year. Um, in just in general, uh, I, I, you guys know this better than I do that. Just a lot of the moves the nationals made were, um, short term moves that I think do make a lot. They did plug a lot of holes in that, in the process of getting these guys on short term deals and really spread it around. And whether it's Schwarber or someone like Josh bell, those are players that have really intriguing bounce back potential. And, uh, mm-hmm. That's that's what's been tricky, I guess, for all of us is understanding how much weight to put into twenty twenty stats, and how much all that means. Um, but I, I like in those those two moves in particular, getting guys that are still in their late twenties uh, and could con- conceivably have their best years still ahead of them. That uh, I think overall, that match fans should be pretty satisfied with that. And I, I know that ultimately, it's putting a lot of pressure on uh, on Juan Soto and on Trey Turner. And um, at the very least, uh, I guess from Marlins perspective, I can feel a little bit jealous having those guys um, also in the rotation, of course, someone like Scherzer and Strasburg having players that are already established stars and that mm-hmm. you can um, expect a lot of uh, this upcoming season for the Marlins. They don't have a whole lot of those sure things in their organization.
0: If you had to give a grade on the Marlins off season, and this will be make this will be the final question, um, like what what would you give it?
1: Uh, it's it's convenient you ask because hopefully <laughs> by the time this podcast comes out, I'll have finally put out my long article grading the Marlins offseason. I did put a lot of thought into that. Put up a whole a uh, hundred point scale um, in different facets. Yeah, not just uh, obviously the main thing you, you focus on is the players who they acquired who they let go. Uh, for the Marlins in this particular offseason, their changes in their front office are also a big part of the offseason, you know, the hire they made with Kim Ang. And um, I think that was one of the bright spots, being able to get someone so qualified to take that position. Um, uh, overall, though, you know, the the summary of this offseason for the Marlins was that it just wasn't all that ambitious, nothing to really move the needle and very difficult to <laughs> really market this team when almost all the players they brought in are relievers. Whether it's a couple I've mentioned already in Detweiler and Bass trades for Dylan Floro from the Dodgers, John Curtis from the Rays, um, a couple Rule Five draft picks, uh, Paul Campbell and Zach Pop. That uh, I mean, most of these players uh, in in vacuum, I, I like a lot of the moves and the value that they got. Uh, overall it just it's difficult to see them keeping pace with the Nats or really anybody else in the division for this upcoming year so uh, all things considered I would give it about a C plus this is coming off a previous offseason that I was very high on in what they did entering the 2020 season investing more money and that's really what this comes down to is that they apparently did not have the green light from ownership to spend big bucks to get the ideal players to fill these positions and that ultimately held them back uh, but not a failure in in any regard because they uh, they protected all their key prospects and they kept their options open uh, financial flexibility as they say um that it's you can't get too high or too low on what they did it's it's somewhere right in the middle c c plus grade from me
0: well awesome. Thank you so much for taking the time uh, to talk to me about Marlins baseball on a Nationals podcast. Um, where can people like, you know, find out more information and read your stuff?
1: Well, Fish Stripes is on a whole lot of platforms. It's not only me, but I'm, I'm the managing editor. I oversee things. So the main website is fishstripes.com. Uh, pretty active on Twitter at fishstripes and same on Instagram and Facebook. Got our own YouTube channel where we put up some podcasts, uh, a lot of highlights, uh, team highlights from majors and the minor leagues, um, et cetera, certain interviews that we do, fish tricks on YouTube. Um, and, uh, I mean, for me personally, they can find me on Twitter as well, at Real Eli, E-L-Y, uh, for my personal thoughts. I, I try to keep a, a lot of Marlon stuff off of that feed, try to separate uh, the <laughs> team from from everything else going on in my life. But if they're interested, they can find me personally on there
0: as well. Well, thank you so much. I uh, really appreciate it. Um, and let's keep in touch and let's enjoy some baseball, right?
1: Yeah. Uh, six games, I think between the Nats and the Marlins in sprint training, yeah. and then another, mm-hmm. another, hopefully we get all 19 regular season games between them as well. So they're going to get to know each other very intimately.
0: And yeah, we'll have, we'll have to do another podcast during the season.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Awesome.
0: Great. Thank you so much. Thank you, Richard. And this will do it for this episode of In the Clubhouse. If you like this episode, please make sure to like, review, and rate this podcast on your favorite podcasting platform. And you can follow us on all the major social media channels at The Nats Report.